The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. As we come out of the sit in the last minute, notice yourself coming out of the sit, just the becoming more aware. When I ring the bell, open your eyes. Welcome to the continuing of your day. Welcome to just being here. Just here. Just you. So, so much, so much of our practice is about being something, being somewhere, being some way, achieving something so much of our lives. Forget practice. Life is like that, right? We always want want something more, want something better, want something to be a different way. Just this constant dissatisfaction with just this. And the settling into the ease of just this is such a blessing. Just, the, just this. How wonderful. So today, what I want to talk about is struggle. (laughs) It occurred to me that very often I'm talking about just settling in, just being here. And sometimes that just seems like a whole lot of work. (laughs) Because there's a lot happening in life. We live very complex lives. How do we exercise? How do we practice? How do we have what is the practice of dharma without it becoming one more thing we have to do on the long list of things we have to do to be who we want to be, how we want things to be. How do we deal with dissatisfaction without it being a struggle against dissatisfaction? How do we, what is the nature of diligence without struggle? What does that look like? What does that feel like? How is that? Is that possible? How do we do that? How do we exercise wise effort? How do I develop my capacity for mindfulness so that I end suffering in my life? What does that mean? It's a whole lot of words that we typically string together and we all have shortcuts for it. You know, let go of that. Don't, don't just let that be. But always in this, there's a, there's this, underlying tension about there's something I want here. That's why I'm doing this, right? That's that's my motivation for doing this. And the sense of just being is hard hard to realize when you're trying to attain it. Because there's just more, more, ah, if only, so much if only that we have in our, in our ways of thinking. How do I come to peace with my desire for the the freedom that I seek without creating the sidecar of disappointments and regrets? How do I do that? What does that look like? How do I turn down the sound of what's wrong and enhance delight? So I'm going to give you a very extended 
metaphor that I hope has some value for you. Um, so, so um, I am late to the practice of swimming. I'm almost 74, as close enough as a breath to 74. And I've decided it's time for me to swim. And there's a pool in my apartment complex. So the last couple of years, I've been working on swimming. And in the beginning, of course, what I did was just go in and splash around and, you know, with my grandkids, right? Let's go in and splash in the pool. But none of this trying to swim thing, because I'm basically afraid of water. Now, having said that, there's a whole lot of different kinds of water, right? There's the water I watch. I love going out to the ocean. The, the immensity of the ocean and the, the strength of the emotion and the infinity of the emotion of the, of the ocean and, and how it becomes a place where I can dump all of the things, all the worries and disappointments and ill emotions, everything can be just dumped into that ocean and it will absorb. It's so immense. It absorbs all of it. And I can feel all of the tension of all of those thoughts going into the ocean and it doesn't bother the ocean at all. And the ocean is magnificent. Of course, I'm standing up on the shore well away. Being in California, I know about sneaker waves. I never turn my back on the ocean because you actually, I'm afraid of water. (laughs) And so There's both the immensity and the joy of seeing all of that wonderful ocean with the waves crashing in and the, you know, the little, I got to be careful. I got to stay away from the edge, you know, and the water is cold. It can be quite unpleasant. The, The current along the coast is cold. Still, the abstraction of it serves as a, a refuge for me. I can dump a lot of my cares into that just temporarily and it just absorbs them and carries them away. And then there's the water I place myself into, right? I could go into the shower. I could go in the bathtub. These are places of of delight or usefulness. And I can feel the water crushing over, flushing over my body or sinking into the water. And all of these feelings are very pleasant. And, you know, it's quite safe. I control the temperature. I control the force of the water. I control the volume of the water. You know, what's there to be afraid of? This water is harmless water. Safety and fear are not part of that equation. And then there are the bodies of water that I bravely enter or float along the top of in some kind of vessel. You know, I can go into the swimming pool and frankly, it's not that big a pool. You know, I can always just walk to the end. It's not even that deep. It's maybe six feet deep. You know, if I bounce on my toes, I can keep, I can breathe. Ah, It turns out breath is an issue. What if I can't breathe in the water? How do I breathe in the water? And that did turn out to be the biggest deterrent to my being able to swim, by the way, is how do I manage breath in the water, right? Now, there are issues here that have to do with fear, safety, doubt, aversion, desire, Sloth and torpor, (laughs) do these sound familiar? The hindrances are very present in the practice of swimming, just as they are in the practice of Dharma, any kind of practice of Dharma. All of the hindrances show up. 
So there's fear, there's a sense of safety and security that are here. There are all the, the, oh, I don't like water. I don't like cold water. I I want the water to be a certain way. Uh, I don't like a lot of people in the water splashing because then I might not be able to breathe. I might swallow water. (laughs) I can give you an infinite number of reasons why I shouldn't do this, why I shouldn't get into water. The fear I experience around water. I love going sailing, but I have to tell you, it's also terrifying. (laughs) I get on the boat. Do I trust the captain? Who is this? Is this an experienced person? How are they going to handle this? You know, I once was on a catamaran, a, a Hobie cat that overturned in the coral sea. I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> it was a two-person boat with pontoons, flat net with pontoons, essentially. And it had a float on the top of the mast, so it would right itself. But I was clinging for dear life to one of these pont- pontoons. And my husband, who was with me, said, get on the boat, get on the boat. I'm just hanging there, so glad I'm still alive, right? Because he is very used to water, has always grown up about water, doesn't have this fear of water. We're different. And all of us in any of the conditions we are in are different. And our our experiences are different. We're in the same place, but our experiences are different. Just as the experience of water can be pleasant or unpleasant, it can be delightful, life enriching, it can be cold and frightening. All of these experiences of water are possible in any moment. And the ease I have has a lot to do with whatever conditions show up in that moment. It has something to do with whether I feel in control. And no amount of telling myself, let go of the need to be in control, is going to change that. But the honesty of saying what's actually true here, to limit my experience to the sense of this allowed me to crawl up out of the coral sea onto the pontoon and cling for the rest of the trip to that netting. Because that's what you do. You take the next step. You just take the next step. As as we were sitting here quietly in meditation, I thought, well, let's see, I should check the time. I'm aware of my responsibility to keep going. And then suddenly I felt my heart rate increase slightly because well, I'm going to have to speak. And then I said, and you will just speak one word at a time. Not so much holding on to the rest of the, of the meditation, but rather saying, and now it's time for the next step. Just the next step. Just the next step. Always practices like that. Sometimes water is a blessing. Sometimes it is threatening. Sometimes it's thrilling. Sometimes it's frightening. But it's all water. It's all just experience. All of the experiences we have are just experiences. It's really hard to grasp what that means. You know, we we want to make everything in our life mean something. (laughs) 
but it is just the sensory input. And then we quickly put it into a category and we note something about it. We say something about it. And then once we say something about it, it shifts our awareness. But suppose, and this is what's been consuming me for the last few months, suppose instead of taking the experience and noting it, perceiving what it is, and then becoming more aware of that, suppose we become aware of what we're aware of first, and not so much what we think about it, and that we can use awareness that allows us to see something slightly different. So I'm going to go back to my metaphor again. So one of the things I noticed, uh, you know, so the bath, the bathtub has lots of controls. The shower has lots of controls. And, you know, mm, it's almost cheating enjoying that water. And sometimes I'm, I'm aware of just the pleasure of being able to turn on the water and turn it off. <laughs> just, ah, ah. But when I get into the ocean, well, you know, that's different. It's salt water, so I tend to be a little more buoyant in the salt water. And if I get long enough fins and a snorkel, I can do all kinds of reef watching. I love reef watching. It's one of the great joys of my life. And yet every time as I get wet, ready to enter the water, I'm aware of a frisson of fear. Just, <gasps> something could happen in that water. You know, it's like the monsters under the bed. And to see that reluctance, that pushing away of the experience. And I remind myself, Maria, not only are there lots of people around to help you, but these fins, this, your body will just float around. You can just float, just float. And I force myself in and I just float. And then I'm overcome by the beauty that I'm seeing in the water. And of course, I have that great snorkel that allows me to not worry about breathing, right? So just breathe, just breathe. And the experience of just breathe, just float, when I become aware of it, becomes a data point that my brain takes in that I can do this. I can, this is safe to do this. I can do this. And what's reinforced is the faith that water is not my enemy, (laughs) that I can do this. And every time that is reinforced in me, it becomes another source of confidence. Okay, so now I'm going to get into my swimming pool and my apartment complex. I'm not going to jump in with the snorkel and my fins. There's not even room for that. You know, if everybody had fins and snorkels, we'd have to just stand there. So now what do I do? And so I recently, in the last couple of years, lost a lot of weight. And I discovered that I was less buoyant than I was before. (laughs) wait a minute I'm used to having some buoyancy here and so um so in the beginning I had to wear you know one of these inflatable or the these uh belts so that it would keep you floating and I would float across the water when I first began it was embarrassing the way I was (laughs) and then then I discovered I could let go of that and I got some short fins you know short swim fins they're exercise fins And that gave me enough propulsion. I could hold my breath all the way to the end of the pool. And I said, oh, oh, I can just hold my breath. 
what and so now I can readily swim back and forth and I don't care if I stop at the end and breathe and then swim to the other end of the lap and back and forth because I'm becoming more comfortable in the water I'm becoming more at ease in the water and the the faith that I'm con- developing is just one more example of oh this is possible I what is this fear of swimming I can swim and and I work on that for me it's very meditative I feel the the flow of water along my body and I feel my feet going up and down on it. In the beginning, I noticed I was clenching my teeth. So like, if I hold on, then I can make it to the end. And I came to realize that I wasn't going to get there more safely by clenching my teeth, that I could relax my jaw and swim to the end of the pool. That, that the effort I was putting in was misplaced. The energy of clenching my teeth was not useful. If I could relax that, then I could notice how my arms were moving and how my legs were moving and how the water was feeling up for my body. And the awareness of what, was I, what I was paying attention to changed. And the tension of how hard I was trying began to ease. And as I noticed all of these things, the tension of trying was getting in the way of just swimming back and forth, just going back and forth. The ease of practice is not related to how good you are at something, but the things, the, the, the extra energy of wanting to be this way, look this way, try this way is getting in the way of the ease of just doing it. Does that make sense? That we become so tangled in the struggle, in the struggle, that we don't realize that the practice is just doing. It's just going back and forth. It's just being here. It's just with whatever this is whatever this is. And then when I notice, oh, this is just not working. Oh, this is not working. It doesn't mean I will never swim. It just means this is not working. I have to work on this. But I have increasing confidence that water is not that dangerous. And yet every time I'm ready to go in the pool, I have to take a breath and let it out. (laughs) No. Okay, I can do this every time. It's a swimming pool. It's a short pool. It's 10 yards long. It's nothing. But I'm aware of that piece of fear and say, yeah, fear. It's not dismissive. It's You can be aware of the fear of this movement, this step, this person, this conversation. You can be aware of it without saying, Oh, I got to do something about the fear. I got to, I got to let go of the fear. I got to treat the fear. It's just notice the fear. And then take the next step. And then dive in to the next step. It doesn't have to be what it's about. So I've been using the pool to explore water and my relationship to it. And it's become not only an extension of my practice, but a, a sort of a place where I notice, I notice, oh, look, this comes up, this goes away, this happens. My relationship to it 
is open to discovery. I'm confronting the fear of water gradually. I'm not trying to overcome something. What I'm doing is cultivating the capacity to swim. Now, part of that is I'm just not as strong as I once was. I'm not as agile as I once was. You know, just, you just okay. So this, this body is the body that's trying to swim. This body with all of its aches and pains and limitations and an interest in playing in the water. So that I notice in this practice, I notice the hindrances, I meet them, but I also meet the faculties, the five faculties that we have in Buddhism, the five faculties being, uh, uh, (laughs) see, they just, they, they totally disappeared, those five faculties. (laughs) Okay, faith, faith or confidence, Um, um, effort or perseverance, what we put into it, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, okay, faith, I have have a hard time going from step one to step two because I'm so involved right now with faith and confidence. Okay, so faith and confidence, effort, which is really what struggle is about, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. What do I learn? And each of these faculties becomes a place of exploration and development of cultivation which seem to have, which seem to me to be more skillful at this stage than worrying about all the hindrances and battling the hindrances. That to build up the capacities gives me the resilience and the strength, like becoming flexible or building up your muscle strength helps you to meet the unexpected. When I shift my awareness away from all the things that are standing in the way of of practice or of swimming, and instead look at what are the capacities that I'm developing that encourage me, that becomes a useful place of investigation. What do I do with these? How do I look at that? When I'm struggling, I'm more subject to fear. When I'm fighting against something. I'm introducing an attitude of mind that is fighting against. The whole idea of battle and struggle creates tension. Even when I'm talking about it, you know, my my finger movements are getting tighter and I can feel my throat getting tighter, just talking about the struggle. And when I talk about faith and effort, I kind of soften a little bit. It's a little okay. You know? So there is less of the aversion to aversion the aversion to all of the hindrances. And instead, I'm looking at what is it that I'm really trying to do here? I'm not engaged in swimming to overcome the hindrances. It turns out that I'm engaged in swimming because I want to enjoy being in the water. I'm not entering it because I want to overcome my fear of water. Although that lurks back here in the back of my brain, but rather, how can I just allow myself to enjoy? And you know what? I'm beginning to enjoy swimming. I look forward to it. I'm eager to do it. I make sure my name is on the name is on the reservation list. 
not because I'm forcing myself to exercise, but because it's delightful to find myself moving through the water. Who knew? I never would have predicted that. Who knew? It isn't what I know or what my goal is, but what can I discover in this moment when I just let this moment happen? I'm not trying to enter a triathlon. I just want to be okay in the water. So I don't, so my swimming doesn't have to look like something. My practice doesn't have to look like something. It doesn't have to represent something. It can just be, I can find delight instead of struggle. Not because I'm looking for delight, but because it arises when I say, oh, look, I've seen something new. All of the comparisons and measuring just get in the way. Just get in the way. If I can just be aware and see how my awareness is coloring my experience, that's that's really useful. So then I can see the hindrances as mm, temporary veils barriers that are obscuring what I want. And they are not things to be fought against, but they are just states that arise as we practice. Oh, I don't feel like it today. I have to get dressed. I have to go over the pool. Then I have to deal with the swimming stuff afterward. This is sloth and torpor. Okay, you're making excuses. Or I'm actually really weary. And learning to distinguish between laziness and weariness is a distinction that comes with just what am I aware of here? So the first thing is, I just don't want to go today. Okay, don't want to go. Give up. But it turns out with just a little bit of effort, I can get myself there and feel that lovely swinging, moving through the water. How delightful that I almost didn't allow myself to experience because I was tied up with, oh, I just don't feel like it today. And hidden behind that are all kinds of things, which I could analyze. They might be very interesting. But if I don't worry about what they are, but rather say, how strong is that? Am I really, is it weariness? because of something, or is it just not quite enough effort? Navigating the effort and struggle is part of what makes the difference between the discovery of practice and the struggle of having to do something. And that is not a black and white affair. That's a a place of experience where we just say, "What's, what's happening here? The hindrances are not what happens to us. Instead, they're the names of states that describe the distance between what is true and what we want. They're the names of of states that describe the distance between what is true and what we want. I think of suffering as wanting things to be other than they are. And the hindrances are wanting things to be other than they are. I don't want to be restless. 
if I think I'm things are restless, what's the difference between restlessness and high energy? From a sense point of view, what you're feeling is high frequency. Now, when we name it restlessness, we're saying, I am valuing calmness in this moment. And what I'm experiencing is this. I want a slowly rising rhythm to my life, not a jagged rhythm to my life. And therefore, I name it restlessness. But it could be the energy of excitement. And the difference is the meaning we attach to the sensory input. We identify this and we say, oh, yeah, that's restlessness or that's aversion or that's desire. And I'm leaning into the moment, sort of like gripping my teeth together to get to the end of the, of the pool, which was not helping at all and was distracting me from the ease of just moving through the water. But because my attention was on this tension or not aware of the, the tension, but just feeling the urge to get to the other side, that I couldn't just relax and get to the other side. Just get to the other side. I, I often use the example of being in a hurry to get somewhere and people are driving, I'm driving and people are in front of me and, and I find myself leaning into the steering wheel and gripping the steering wheel and say, Maria, you can't get there any faster than the car. Relax. It's that same energy. When you notice this tension is not contributing. This tension is just, this is just a struggle. I could say, let go of the struggle, or I could say, what's this about? Why is this here? What is the usefulness of this? What about the absence of this? Does it get in the way of where I'm going? No. <laughs> well, then, what's, what's the point of that? We sometimes get into the, the tyranny of uh, a goal and we don't want to stray from that goal and anything that gets away from that goal is is to be fought against but if we notice we're just moving away from something is that the goal or is that the thing when we when we meet these these aversions to what is up with aversion we're creating another level of suffering. So, so the other morning, uh, I noticed that uh, that ill will was with me. Well, let's just say there was just this miasma of feeling around me that was just I don't want, and it wasn't so much I wasn't aware of what I didn't want as I was just don't touch me, don't talk to me. Just and my husband was trying to have a conversation with me. <laughs> And I was aware of this ill will. And so I brought up all my Buddhist techniques. You know, remember your intention to be kind to your husband. You know, the mind came up with this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's not working right now. I'm really. So I was overwhelmed with this ill will. I did not like this ill will. I wanted this ill will to go away. I wanted to do metta and soften my heart. All the all the tricks I have. And then 
I thought, well, I guess it just needs to be seen, this ill will. And the only thing I can do is nothing. And the energy of just stopping so that I don't retort, say something un, uh, inappropriate, unkind, just do nothing. Stop trying to be better. Just do nothing. And I just sat there feeling this horrible energy <laughs> and noticing how unpleasant it was. And unpleasant, but I was literally biting my tongue. Just do nothing. At least do nothing, right? And at that moment, there were these, a flock of cedar wax wings flew into the, the trees outside the, the, the window. I was sitting at a, a dining room table and there's some uh, redwood trees. And a flock of cedar wax wings came in, which one of the, my favorite beautiful bird, actually. And for two or three days each year, they, the flock comes in and they demolish the pyracantha berries and the bushes down below. The, on, I'm on the third floor. It's down, down below. And they, these come in two or three days a year. And I always wait for them, 100 birds. And in three days, the berries are all gone. They're all gone. And just at that moment, they came in. And I, and I was filled with a, a feeling of delight. So here's my asthma of ill will. Suddenly delight. Delight dispels, dispels ill will. It just, they can't coexist. It's just, ah, nothing was resolved. I did nothing, but everything shifted. Now, you could call this a miracle, an accident, serendipity. But the truth is, it was also true that I was doing nothing. I was leaving it totally open to, okay, whatever. Had I not been in that space, had I been locked into trying to deal with the ill will, I would have missed the birds. I wouldn't have looked out the window. I wouldn't have seen them if I was looking out the window because I would have been consumed with the aversion to aversion. So what I'm suggesting here is not that we ignore the negative things that occur in our lives or the great sadnesses or the, the disappointments and, and the uh, unexplained, the unexpected, but rather that we say, ah, this hurts and just see that and not have to deal with it, not have to do something about it. We just take the next step. It doesn't have to be a life plan for every unexpected activity. We don't have to meet the moment with self-criticism or aversion. We just say, okay, my intention, my intention is to be open. I'm not feeling safe. <laughs> okay, but it is my intention. So how do I honor that intention when I don't feel safe? Well, I notice the existence of both things. And I don't give preference to one or the other so much as I just allow. I see it as clearly as I can possibly see it. 
when I do metta practice, I remember that it isn't about becoming a better person or dispelling ill will against another person. It is really about softening my heart and opening my heart. That, that, that has more virtue than solving a problem with that person because it makes me more willing, more confident, more mindful. It develops those capacities that are the five faculties necessary for practice. So that I don't spend so much time on repairing, but more time on building. Take what this is. These are the conditions I have. Yesterday's conditions are really not the ones I have to deal with. They're these conditions. Whether I was fearful or buoyant in the water have nothing to do with this body of water. What do I do with this body of water? This person now, this place, this is what I, this this is, this is where I take my next step. This is where I try to be skillful with what I see. And I try to see as clearly as possible. I try not to become entangled in the ill will or the fear or the uncertainty or the doubt. I just notice Oh, uncertainty is here. But it isn't me. It's just what's here now. Ill will is here. Fear is here. But if I battle fear, I'm lost in the struggle. And sometimes fear just has to be seen. And then you say, so what am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of falling off the mountain. Well, the only thing that's true is you're not going to stay here. So you might as well take the first step. Yes, fear is here. And I have to admit, it's here. This, this is here. But I don't have to become the fear. I don't have to operate from the fear. I just have to see it. I have to know it. Or sorrow is here. I don't have to let sorrow consume me. Somebody sent me a quote yesterday. And she said in, uh, in Irish, one doesn't say I'm sad. They say sadness is, is upon me. And I kind of like that. You know, you don't have to personalize sadness. It's it, sadness is upon me. You can feel the weight of the sadness and you can feel the uncertainty of the sadness. But you don't have to become the sadness. In the becoming, we are strengthening it and we're, we're shaping our awareness of what then we can see. But when we're outside and feel the weight of the sadness, then we can take the knowing of the sadness. And we can say, and what else is here? What needs to be seen along with this sadness? We use mindfulness to increase what we're aware of. I listened to something from Joseph Goldstein yesterday. He was talking about aggregates and he was talking about um, how to how to uh, look at an experience and and uh, not let the experience become all about what we think about it right if we stop assigning meaning to the state it's free to morph it's free to change but when we name it 
and we hold on to that. The, the way he described it is, I expand my noting. So if he says, uh, I note, uh, I can't remember what example he used now, but ah, I noted he, he, was, he was engaged in sexual fantasies and he was noticing the pleasure of it. And he, he would say, okay, I noticed this, I noticed this, I noticed this. And then he said, I noticed, he changed it, he expanded it to be, I noticed contact and the liking. So he divided it into sensing what he was sensing and when he thought about it. And that helped him to break the being locked in the compulsive thoughts. Right? So, so what he called expanding the noting, I talk about as shifting the awareness. What am I aware of? In addition to what I've named it, what else am I aware of? So that we don't dismiss our feelings and get locked into the feelings based on what we've named them. Resentment, aversion, embarrassment, fear. But rather we say, ah, embarrassment. And and what else? Well, fear of not being liked. Oh, fear of not being liked. But I may never see fear of not being liked because I'm locked on embarrassment. This is how we grow in wisdom and increase the capacity for wisdom, the faculty of wisdom, by just allowing ourselves to see what else is here in this experience and not being locked in the struggle against something. Tasha Nia says, don't use excessive energy trying to be mindful. Simply keep reminding yourself to be mindful. It's in the same spirit. It's, it's not becoming a mindful person, developing mindfulness, but just reminding oneself to be mindful. Just reminding. He said further, strong mindfulness is used to describe a state of mind in which the five faculties of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom or understanding are in balance. We don't do one in favor of the other, but we have these five faculties in balance. If we're so focused on, I got to be mindful of my breath, mindful of my breath, mindful of it. The opportunity for wisdom evaporates. The opportunity for faith evaporates because now I'm consumed with doubt because I can't stay there. It's about ease in just thisness. I didn't take up swimming just to end the fear of water, but to find joy in swimming. Into your practice, not to make it something else to do, but to find joy in the practice. Not because you're looking for it, but because it naturally emerges when you're not in struggle when you're not engaged in wanting things to be other than they are. I've run way over time for what I was going to say. I'm going to close what I was going to say with a poem because I got to the end of writing my talk yesterday and I recalled this poem and I said, yes. So this is a Jane Hirschfield poem. It's called The Promise. Mysteriously, they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously, they left. 
as if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who is always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much of that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of blue mountains. I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss nor danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. The promise. Mysteriously, they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously, they left, as if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who is always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of blue mountains. I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction of the fates my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss nor danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. So those are my thoughts today. I wish you ease in that the struggle is not there, that you just see it, just see it. Thank you.